Section 10 of The Three Impostors by Arthur Mackin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4 of Novel of the Black Seal. The well-meant gabble of the servant touched me to the quick. I lay down upon my bed and bit my lip that I should not cry out loud in the sharp anguish of my terror and bewilderment. Indeed, I was almost mad with dread i believe that if it had been daylight i should have fled hot foot forgetting all courage and all the debt of gratitude that was due to professor gregg not caring whether my fate were that i must starve slowly so long as i might escape from the net of blind and panic fear that every day seemed to draw a little closer round me if i knew i thought if i knew what there was to dread i could guard against it but here in this lonely house shut in on all sides by the olden woods and the vaulted hills terror seems to spring inconsequent from every covert and the flesh is aghast at the half-hearted murmurs of horrible things all in vain i strove to summon scepticism to my aid and endeavoured by cool common sense to buttress my belief in a world of natural order for the air that blew in at the open window was a mystic breath and in the darkness i felt the silence go heavy and sorrowful as a mass of requiem and i conjured images of strange shapes gathering fast amidst the reeds beside the wash of the river in the morning from the moment that i set foot in the breakfast-room i felt that the unknown plot was drawing to a crisis the professor's face was firm and set and he seemed hardly to hear our voices when we spoke i am going out for a rather long walk he said when the meal was over you mustn't be expecting me now or thinking anything has happened if i don't turn up to dinner i have been getting stupid lately and i dare say a miniature walking tour will do me good perhaps i may even spend the night in some little inn if i find any place that looks clean and comfortable i heard this and i knew by my experience of professor gregg's manner that it was no ordinary business of pleasure that impelled him i knew not nor even remotely guessed where he was bound nor had i the vaguest notion of his errand but all the fear of the night before returned and as he stood smiling on the terrace ready to set out i implored him to stay and to forget all his dreams of the undiscovered continent no no miss lally he replied still smiling it's too late now vestigia nulla retrorsum you know is the device of all true explorers though i hope it won't be literally true in my case but indeed you are wrong to alarm yourself so i look upon my little expedition as quite commonplace no more exciting than a day with the geological hammers there is a risk of course but so there is on the commonest excursion i can afford to be jaunty i am doing nothing so hazardous as every does a hundred times over in the course of every bank holiday well then you must look more cheerfully and so good-bye till to-morrow at latest he walked briskly up the road and i saw him open the gate that marks the entrance of the wood and then he vanished in the gloom of the trees all the day passed heavily 
with a strange darkness in the air and again i felt as if imprisoned amidst the ancient woods shut in an olden land of mystery and dread and as if all was long ago and forgotten by the living outside i hoped and dreaded and when the dinner hour came i waited expecting to hear the professor's step in the hall and his voice exulting at i knew not what triumph i composed my face to welcome him gladly but the night descended dark and he did not come in the morning when the maid knocked at my door i called out to her and asked if her master had returned and when she replied that his bedroom door stood open and empty i felt the cold clasp of despair still i fancied he might have discovered genial company and would return for luncheon or perhaps in the afternoon and i took the children for a walk in the forest and tried my best to play and laugh with them and to shout out the thoughts of mystery and veiled terror hour after hour i waited and my thoughts grew darker again the night came and found me watching and at last as i was making much ado to finish my dinner i heard steps outside and the sound of a man's voice the maid came in and looked oddly at me please miss she began mr morgan the gardener wants to speak to you for a minute if you didn't mind show him in please i answered and set my lips tight the old man came slowly into the room and the servant shut the door behind him sit down mr morgan i said what is it that you want to say to me well miss mr gregg he gave me something for you yesterday morning just before he went off and he told me particular not to hand it up before eight o'clock this evening exactly if so be he wasn't back again home before and he should come home before i was just to return it to him in his own hands so you see as mr gregg isn't here yet i suppose i'd better give you the parcel directly he pulled out something from his pocket and gave it to me half rising i took it silently and seeing that morgan seemed doubtful as to what he was to do next i thanked him and bade him good night and he went out i was left alone in the room with a parcel in my hand a paper parcel neatly sealed and directed to me with the instructions morgan had quoted all written in the professor's large loose hand i broke the seals with a choking at my heart and found an envelope inside addressed also but open and i took the letter out my dear miss lally it began to quote the old logic manual the case of your reading this note is a case of my having made a blunder of some sort and i am afraid a blunder that turns these lines into a farewell it is practically certain that neither you nor any one else will ever see me again i have made my will with provision for this eventuality and i hope you will consent to accept the small remembrance addressed to you and my sincere thanks for the way in which you joined your fortunes to mine the fate which has come upon me is desperate and terrible beyond the remotest dreams of man but this fate you have a right to know if you please if you look in the left-hand drawer of my dressing-table you will find the key of the escritoire properly labelled 
in the well of the escritoire is a large envelope sealed and addressed to your name i advise you to throw it forthwith into the fire you will sleep better of nights if you do so but if you must know the history of what has happened it is all written down for you to read the signature was firmly written below and again i turned the page and read out the words one by one aghast and white to the lips my hands cold as ice and sickness choking me the dead silence of the room and the thought of the dark woods and hills closing me in on every side oppressed me helpless and without capacity and not knowing where to turn for counsel at last i resolved that though knowledge should haunt my whole life and all the days to come i must know the meaning of the strange terrors that had so long tormented me rising grey dim and awful like the shadows in the wood at dusk i carefully carried out professor gregg's directions and not without reluctance broke the seal of the envelope and spread out his manuscript before me that manuscript i always carry with me and i see that i cannot deny your unspoken request to read it this then was what i read that night sitting at the desk with a shaded lamp beside me the young lady who called herself miss lally then proceeded to recite the statement of william gregg f r s etc it is many years since the first glimmer of the theory which is now almost if not quite reduced to fact dawned on my mind a somewhat extensive course of miscellaneous and obsolete reading had done a great deal to prepare the way and later when i became somewhat of a specialist and immersed myself in the studies known as ethnological i was now and then startled by facts that would not square with orthodox scientific opinion and by discoveries that seemed to hint at something still hidden for all our research more particularly i became convinced that much of the folklore of the world is but an exaggerated account of events that really happened and i was especially drawn to consider the stories of the fairies the good folk of the celtic races here i thought i could detect the fringe of embroidery and exaggeration the fantastic guise the little people dressed in green and gold sporting in the flowers and i thought i saw a distinct analogy between the name given to this race supposed to be imaginary and the description of their appearance and manners just as our remote ancestors called the dreaded beings fair and good precisely because they dreaded them so they had dressed them up in charming forms knowing the truth to be the very reverse literature too had gone early to work and had lent a powerful hand in the transformation so that the playful elves of shakespeare are already far removed from the true original and the real horror is disguised in a form of prankish mischief but in the older tales the stories that used to make men cross themselves as they sat around the burning logs we tread a different stage 
i saw a widely opposed spirit in certain histories of children and of men and women who vanished strangely from the earth they would be seen by a peasant in the fields walking towards some green and rounded hillock and seen no more on earth and there are stories of mothers who have left a child quietly sleeping with a cottage door rudely barred with a piece of wood and have returned not to find the plump and rosy little saxon but a thin wizened creature with sallow skin and black piercing eyes the child of another race then again there were myths darker still the dread of witch and wizard the lurid evil of the sabbath and the hint of demons who mingled with the daughters of men and just as we have turned the terrible fair folk into a company of benignant if freakish elves so we have hidden from us the black foulness of the witch and her companions under a popular diablerie of old women and broomsticks and a comic cat with tail on end so the greeks called the hideous furies benevolent ladies and thus the northern nations have followed their example i pursued my investigations stealing odd hours from other and more imperative labors and i asked myself the question supposing these traditions to be true who were the demons who are reported to have attended the sabbaths i need not say that i laid aside what i may call the supernatural hypothesis of the middle ages and came to the conclusion that fairies and devils were of one and the same race and origin invention no doubt and the gothic fancy of old days had done much in the way of exaggeration and distortion yet i firmly believe that beneath all this imagery there was a black background of truth as for some of the alleged wonders i hesitated while i should be very loath to receive any one specific instance of modern spiritualism as containing even a grain of the genuine yet i was not wholly prepared to deny that human flesh may now and then once perhaps in ten million cases be the veil of powers which seem magical to us powers which so far from proceeding from the heights and leading men thither are in reality survivals from the depths of being the amoeba and the snail have powers which we do not possess and i thought it possible that the theory of reversion might explain many things which seem wholly inexplicable thus stood my position i saw good reason to believe that much of the tradition a vast deal of the earliest and uncorrupted tradition of the so-called fairies represented solid fact and i thought that the purely supernatural element in these traditions was to be accounted for on the hypothesis that a race which had fallen out of the grand march of evolution might have retained as a survival certain powers which would be to us wholly miraculous such was my theory as it stood conceived in my mind and working with this in view i seemed to gather confirmation from every side from the spoils of a tumulus or a barrow 
from a local paper reporting an antiquarian meeting in the country and from general literature of all kinds among other instances i remember being struck by the phrase articulate speaking men in homer as if the writer knew or had heard of men whose speech was so rude that it could hardly be termed articulate and on my hypothesis of a race who had lagged far behind the rest i could easily conceive that such a folk would speak a jargon but little removed from the inarticulate noises of brute beasts thus i stood satisfied that my conjecture was at all events not far removed from fact when a chance paragraph in a small country print one day arrested my attention it was a short account of what was to all appearance the usual sordid tragedy of the village a young girl unaccountably missing and evil rumour blatant and busy with her reputation yet i could read between the lines that all this scandal was purely hypothetical and in all probability invented to account for what was in any other manner unaccountable a flight to london or liverpool or an undiscovered body lying with a weight about its neck in the foul depths of a woodland pool or perhaps murder such were the theories of the wretched girl's neighbors but as i idly scanned the paragraph a flash of thought passed through me with the violence of an electric shock what if the obscure and horrible race of the hills still survived still remained haunting wild places and barren hills and now and then repeating the evil of gothic legend unchanged and unchangeable as the turanian shelta or the basques of spain i have said that the thought came with violence and indeed i drew in my breath sharply and clung with both hands to my elbow chair in a strange confusion of horror and elation it was as if one of my confreres of physical science roaming in a quiet english wood had been suddenly stricken aghast by the presence of the slimy and loathsome terror of the ichthyosaurus the original of the stories of the awful worms killed by valorous knights or had seen the sun darkened by the pterodactyl the dragon of tradition yet as a resolute explorer of knowledge the thought of such a discovery threw me into a passion of joy and i cut out the slip from the paper and put it in a drawer in my old bureau resolved that it should be but the first piece in a collection of the strangest significance i sat long that evening dreaming of the conclusions i should establish nor did cooler reflection at first dash my confidence yet as i began to put the case fairly i saw that i might be building on an unstable foundation the facts might possibly be in accordance with local opinion and i regarded the affair with a mood of some reserve yet i resolved to remain perched on the lookout and i hugged to myself the thought that i alone was watching and wakeful while the great crowd of thinkers and searchers stood heedless and indifferent perhaps letting the most prerogative facts pass by unnoticed end of part four of novel of the black seal